Welcome to the church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is October 3rd, and Pastors Brad and Mike tag team our final house series message on building a culture of discipleship. Let's drop it. Well, church, uh, we are uh, excited about the end of our series on the house, and we have been talking about the house uh, for the last uh, four weeks. We've been introducing this as our culture series for the church at Lake Mead. Um, we are uh, determined as, as the pastoral team to really help believers in our church have a, a framework, a structure that helps them walk and grow as a believer in Jesus. We think that's our job. Um, we've been talking about that for the last several weeks. We talked about being a house of worship, a house of prayer. And last week, Mike talked about being a house of generosity. We think these are core pillars in your walk with Jesus. So today uh, we're gonna be talking a little bit more about that. Um, but before we do, I wanna just, just make an observation about life because this ties so well into our Christian, our Christian experience. Uh, have you ever just reflected back on life and realized that there was some moments, maybe in the moment you didn't realize it, but you look back and you now do, that your life was profoundly changed because you met somebody. Somebody came into your life and your life was never the same after that moment, right? It's just part of how the human experience is, right? In fact, the crazy thing about hum human life is you might meet someone tomorrow that will forever change your life. That's just the, a, a possibility, right? Um, if you're married in here, you probably can reflect back to when you met your spouse or when you've noticed your spouse, right? And how that just changed your life forever. In fact, a statement is... Um, the biggest changes in our life usually are connected to the people that we meet, you know? For me, um, it was a spring day in uh, 1995 when I first noticed Michelle. I had met her before, but we were all a bunch of friends out to lunch. She was a city, I, I'll, I have this memory, honey. So uh, she was sitting across the, the table from me and the light had been shining in the window and her blue eyes lit up and they sparkled. And that was the first time I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I noticed Good her, stuff. you know? <laughs> and, and I'm like, man, she's pretty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah there I am, right? <laughs> and, and the first time, like, possibilities kind of opened up in my heart anyway. I don't know about hers. but um, And so for the next four years, I cultivated this friendship. And it was her character and her love for Jesus and her personality that drew me to her. And uh, Christmas Eve of 1999, I asked Michelle to marry me. And she did. I mean, she said yes. Aww. And so later we got married and I was amazed that she said yes. And, and so that moment in 1995, although maybe at the exact day I didn't realize it, but that changed my life meeting Michelle. It just changed everything from that, from that moment. I can't even imagine life without her. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's worth it. Yeah, that's good. We, uh, we all went to high school together, as many of you know, and, uh, and our high we had a high school of like 20. Uh, <laughs> and, and so, uh, and we all met at different stages, like at different points in high yeah. school. And uh, this January of Dawn's freshman year, she transferred into our school. And, uh, and so we, there's something about, I don't know if you know this, but there's something about teasing somebody that kind of reveals some things uh, about how much you like them. Like I teased relentlessly uh, Dawn and uh, throughout high school. And yeah, there's me with hair. Uh, 
And such oh a, man, such a <laughs> the uh, I I married up, right? Like yes, uh, my goodness, she. Uh, so it's the same kind of experience where I I had known her a couple of years and then I I went away to college. We came back. It was August of '95. Uh, we were sitting. Um, we were at uh, we were roommates. We had a yeah. house up the, uh, up the road here, and we had a, a life group that gathered all uh, all these. 20-somethings and late teens gathered together. And we were going around, and part of our life group, we just shared this verse that had a, quite an impact on us. And so we were each sharing, uh, going around. I shared Isaiah 41.10. That's just my life verse. Fear not, for I'm with you. Uh, be not dismayed from your God. So I shared that, and then we kind of go around, and then Dawn uh, shared hers. Hers was Isaiah 41.13. And it also says, fear not, for I'm with you. And so as soon as she like, said that, I remember thinking, Oh, I could marry this girl. Like, I, and, uh, and so over the course of some time after conversation, like we would talk about it and Michelle, we would talk about it a little bit. You would talk with Dawn about it. Michelle was playing this little matchmaking <laughs> kind of experience. And, uh, and then, you know, in 97, we were married. And it's, it's remarkable. I was sharing with a, a couple uh, that's been married a year um, this week, I was sharing with them a little bit about, I've been married 24 years, and I still am getting to know her. Yeah. Like the gift of that. Like where, oh, I didn't know that about you. Uh, and, and many of you have experienced that with this on longevity of, like, I didn't know this about you, you know? And, and then there are other times, I did not know this about you. Uh, no. <laughs> That's more said to me. Uh, uh, yeah. This meeting someone does change everything. Yeah. And we want to talk this morning about this meeting of Jesus changes everything. Like we're, when you meet Jesus, it changes everything. And Christianity, you know that term, uh, that, that Christianity oftentimes is equated, at least for, for the decades that I grew up in church, a lot of times it gets equated with escaping hell and, and discovering heaven. And Christianity is more than that. It's this encounter with Jesus and this growing relationship with him where he would continue to change me as I know him more and more and more. And so what we want to do is we want to talk about this disciple, what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to know him more and more, and what it means to do that within this church family. Yeah. We've been talking about this culture, uh, the house culture. We've been sharing different things that say, and this is who we are. And so this is the process. This is the growing. This is the discipling. This is us following Jesus' experience that we want to reveal to you today. For the last year and a half or so, we've been talking about this process of like, this is what we want our church to do. And here's, how, here, here's what it is, and then we'll kind of flesh this out in a moment. It's encountering Jesus, it's growing together, and it's living his way. That's what we want to highlight from this point forward as a church family. Yeah. So this idea of encountering Jesus, right? You meet someone, your life's changed. You meet Jesus, your life's changed. And if you've read the Gospels at all, um, you've noticed people, dozens of people encounter Jesus in the Gospels. But no one's the same afterward. Now, not, not everyone who encountered Jesus followed him, right? Some, some rejected Jesus, some um, deny Jesus, some betray Jesus, some yell crucify Jesus, but others surrender their lives in such a way that they end up dying for Jesus. Jesus is just not the kind of person you can dismiss. You will make a decision after you meet Jesus. He is 
the kind of person you can't just forget about. He is so significant. He is so just mag, just magnetic as a person that you will either praise him as your king or you will reject him, but you cannot be neutral about him. That's who Jesus is. And so if you've met Jesus, if you've come into contact with Jesus and you've begun to follow him, then you know that he is king of kings and he will not have a rival, right? He's just that way. You cannot have a, a second allegiance in your relationship with Jesus. He's number one. We want to show you a story, an encounter with Jesus. And there were, like I said, dozens we could have chosen, but there's one in the book of John that is so tender and so beautiful that we've actually mentioned it a few times in the last year, but I want to dive into it a, a little bit today and look at it from this angle of how meeting Jesus changes everything. It's in John chapter four, and it's the story of a woman at, at a well. And we're going to look at this. Um, but if you've heard this story before, I, I pray there's going to be a fresh angle with it that really will show you just how incredible Jesus really is, um, even within the whole biblical story. So let's set up the story. Uh, if this is new to you, uh, I'm going to set this up. If it isn't, then just humor me. Jesus and his disciples are traveling from the north part of Israel down to the south part to, to where the capital Jerusalem is. In order to get there, Jews had two routes they could have taken. Most Jews took the route away from Samaria. Samaria is the middle section of the country. The Samaritans live in Samaria and the Jews and the Samaritans don't like each other. There's long centuries long feud between the two people groups. They're actually cousins, right? If you trace their ancestry, the 10 tribes of Israel uh, used to be living in that area and they have now been mixed with other people groups. And so the Jews consider the Samaritans half-breeds. There's a lot of racial tension. The Samaritans have established their entire religious system that's separate from, from Israel, from Jerusalem. They have their own temple. They claim to worship Yahweh, the same God as the Jews, but they do it in a different way. So there's religious tension, there's racial tension. There's just not a good situation here. Let's look at this intentionality of Jesus in our text in John chapter four. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now he didn't have to. We already said most Jews avoided, but he didn't. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground where Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. This is significant. And it was about noon. Let's go on. When a, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So this is a crucial point in our story this morning. Jesus is in Samaria. Uh, he's a Jew. Uh, he's really not welcomed there, honestly. And so uh, there's some weirdness here. Jesus is at noon at the well. This woman shows up at noon. This is significant, significant culturally because a woman normally wouldn't go to the well at noon. She'd be the only one there. Normally women went in groups. She's all by herself. Why is she by herself? Well, because she's there at noon. Most well, well water and the drawing of the well water happened early in the morning. It was hard work. Um, so you wouldn't do that in the heat of the day. She's there at noon, probably because of social reasons. She's been rejected by her, her society. We'll look at why in a second. 
So she's there, she's outcast from her society. She's there at noon and Jesus, uh, uh, he, he engages a, a discussion with her. He, he starts up a conversation. Now today, this wouldn't be that weird. Um, you know, if you're at Starbucks, that's our modern wealth, you know, you're at Starbucks. Hey, how are you doing? How's your day? Don't you like October? I love October. You know, whatever you're talking about at Starbucks, it's really not that weird, right? In this day, you wouldn't talk to a woman you didn't have a relationship with. If you're a man, you don't talk to a woman in public, especially if someone that's not in your family or not your wife. Notice what she says. She says this, hit that next button for me. The Samaritan woman says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask a drink uh, from, from me a drink? For the Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. This little parenthesis just helps the reader. John is helping us understand that this was inappropriate. This is not normal. This isn't normal on a few levels. Number one, as I said, a man doesn't speak to a woman. Number two, Jews really don't talk to Samaritans and vice versa. And number three, this woman, as I've already mentioned, is at noon, she's there at noon, and Jesus is a holy man. I mean, he's, he's identified already in, in, in the book of John as a rabbi. And so what would a holy man be doing talking to a woman of questionable character in public, a Jewish man, Samaritan woman, all those reasons, this is inappropriate. And so she points that out to Jesus. She points that out. But there's actually another layer to this conversation that also is pretty intriguing. Not only is Jesus kind of crossing these social taboos and talking to a woman at public, there's, there's a biblical, in the biblical story, there's other points in, in the history of the Jews and the Samaritans, remember they're a shared people, of men talking to women at wells. I don't think this is immediately known by the woman. I don't think she's immediately thinking about this, but I think by the end of the story, this all comes out. So let me tell you what is in the background here. There, as I said, there's another story in the Bible of a man that asks a woman at a well for a drink. This story goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. This is in chapter 24. And it's um, a servant of Abraham. What's going on in that story? Well, Abraham's son, Isaac, his, his, his promised son is 40 years old and he doesn't have a wife and it's time for him to find a wife. Um, and so uh, Abraham's worried that Isaac will marry someone from the area where they live, which is far away from Abraham's homeland. And he doesn't want that. So he makes his servant promise an oath that he's gonna travel all the way back to where Abraham came from, which is about 400 miles to find a wife for his, for his son. So imagine you work for a rich guy, right? Imagine you're the servant, right? Cause he's not named, so we don't know his name, but imagine you're this servant and tomorrow, Monday, you go to work and, and you're working for a rich guy. And the guy goes, you know what? Junior doesn't have a wife and you need to find him one. Like really, right? And where you're gonna find him is back in Indiana somewhere where we're from. So I want you to get on a plane, land in Indianapolis and then just find him a wife and bring, him, bring her back. I mean, how crazy is that, right? That, that's, that's even more that, like what happened here. This servant doesn't even know anything about Abraham's family. He's made to promise this promise. And so he does what probably we would do. Like, what if she doesn't want to go back? You know, and what if I can't find anyone? And it tries to find some like exit clauses in the contract, you know, because this is like high pressure. And Abraham says, that's fine if she doesn't want to come, but I just want you to try. So this servant takes 10 camels, 17 day trip, travels all the way 
to this town. He gets to this dusty town right around sunset. And he prays this prayer. I love this prayer. And he says, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See that I'm standing beside the spring, this well, and the daughters of the town people are coming out to draw water. Would you just let a young lady, this is what he's praying. Would you let a one young woman, when she comes out, when I ask her for a drink, would you just say, would you just put it in her heart to say yes? And not only to give me a drink, but so that I really know you're the one guiding me, God, would you put it in her heart to give all of my camels drink as well? Now, and though, just so you know, because a lot of us don't work with camels, I think uh, Chris has a little uh, uh, experience with camels, right? <laughs> We're going to have a camel for Christmas. I'm so excited. Maybe, hopefully. Uh, rabbit trail. Anyway, it's going to be great. Uh, um, they can drink 25 gallons of water if they're thirsty. There's 10 of them, okay? So check that out. So this servant is praying. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that to God? Like, God, I'm about to do something crazy. And if this is your will, like, will you just like, the, like the, the next thing the person say is like the number three or something. I mean, just random, right? Like, and all of a sudden they say the number three and you're like, yes, that was, that was God. That's kind of what's happening here, right? Like, I want this girl to give me a water and then all of my camels, right? The text says in Genesis 24, he isn't even done praying. He opens his eyes and there's a woman walking. And he says to her, hey, uh, well, here it is. Can I have a drink of water? Please give me a little water. And she says, drink my Lord. And quickly she lowered the jar down uh, and gave him a drink. And then she says, exactly what you think. And I'll give all of your camels water. And so this woman starts dishing out water to all these thirsty camels. And, and the servant is like, yes, that's exactly what I prayed for. Then he asked her, who are you? Remember, he's just coming into town and she says, I'm the granddaughter of Nahor who happens to be the brother of Abraham. It's the same family the servant had been sent to find. So this providential finding of a wife at a well is deeply embedded in the Jewish story. In fact, this story happens twice, twice more in the, in, in the other subsequent stories. Jacob meets Rachel. This is Isaac's son meets his wife, Rachel, at a well. The same kind of thing happens. There's water involved. Obviously, you're at a well. He, he's helping Rachel get water. Um, and, and so when he does that, Rachel runs to her family. I, I failed to mention that when, when um, the Abraham servant identified who he was, uh, Rebecca, who's the girl who ends up marrying Isaac, she runs to her family to tell them, I've met this guy, leaves him at the well, right? Same thing happened with Jacob. Rachel meets Jacob and she runs to her brother or to her dad and says, look, 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 I've met this man and he's part of our family. From It happens one more time in the story with Moses. Moses gets to a well, he's there. These shepherds had like abused these women and pushed them away and watered their sheep. And, and Moses comes walking up and there's these girls over there, like off to the side. And he like pulls out his big guns and pushes all this, the, 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 the uh, shepherds away. And he gets those women in there. And guess what? That's gonna eventually be his wife. And so there are these three significant stories in the Old Testament of a man meeting a woman at a well, later the woman running off to tell her family and that significant encounter changes the course of history.
So let's flash back to this wedding, this, this moment with this woman at the well. Jesus is in this conversation and this is what the next uh, part of it is. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This woman doesn't know who she's talking to. She doesn't know her life's about to change. Just like, I don't think at the moment that the, 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 the woman who met that servant of Abraham knew exactly who it was she was talking to. And Rachel, who becomes the wife of Jacob, didn't quite know who Jacob was when they first started talking. And Moses' wife didn't quite know. This woman doesn't quite know who she's talking to. Her life's about to change. Look what happens next. He answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. Again, whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this conversation starts to turn, turn into a conversation about spiritual things. See, Jesus isn't seeking a wife at this well. He isn't seeking someone to marry, but in another way he is because this is who Jesus was sent to do. This is what exactly his mission was. His mission was to seek out us, to seek out a bride, to seek out people who the world maybe has rejected, who everybody else thought had, had no value. Jesus is not that way. He sees value in everyone, including a woman that the world has rejected at a well. And he's willing to risk all of the social, you know, uh, stigma that might come from having a conversation with her. And, and he tells her that he's offering her eternal life. Well, she isn't really following what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus says, go and call your husband. Well, now this gets personal. She doesn't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands and the person that you're with now isn't your husband. So you're answering correctly that you don't currently have a husband. That changes the, the dynamic in the story. She now recognizes that Jesus knows things about her life that would be impossible for him to know unless he was a prophet. There's a clip from the movie, uh, The Chosen, that just so captures the last part of this encounter. And I wanna show it to you. We actually showed it a few months back, part of it, but we're gonna show a little bit more right now because it just so captures the love that Jesus has for this woman. Guys, when you meet Jesus, everything changes. Watch this end of this encounter right here. So where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did anywhere. God is spirit, and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes, it explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. 
You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. So what does she do next? She leaves her water pot behind and she runs and tells everyone in the, in the town. It's the same biblical motif of a woman who meets a, a man at a well and her life is changed. And yet this story, Jesus meets this woman who honestly represents all of us. We are this unloved woman at the well. We are the ones that the world has rejected. The enemy has told all of us lies about our value. All of us live with shame, the feeling of that rejection. And here is our bridegroom, our groom meeting us at a well and saying, you're not rejected. I love you. I came just to meet you in Samaria. Of all the people that the Messiah could reveal himself to first, think about the significance that Jesus chose this woman, a Samaritan who no one cared for, does that not show you how powerful and how amazing Jesus is? Come on, yeah. that's who yeah. Jesus is. Mm. He has universal appeal. That's why the name of Jesus is the name that everyone will bow to. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There's not a human on this planet that Jesus doesn't love. If he chooses to reveal himself to the Samaritan woman, he will reveal himself to anyone because that's who our God is. Yeah. 
So the first in our, our discipleship process is you having an encounter with Jesus. As Mike said earlier, it's an ongoing encounter with Jesus. It's a continual encounter with Jesus. As you meet him, as he's more and more revealed to you, you become more and more surrendered to him. This is the first part of this, of this process of discipleship. Yeah, and when you encounter him, you grow. So we're just going to spend a couple minutes on these last two. As you, as you continue to know Jesus, you will grow in your faith. But the significant part of our faith is growing together. We have never been called to do a solo act in our Christian faith. Jesus established a church immediately and said, we're going to do this together because you cannot do this alone. And that we would live out this faith together. And so the second part is this growing together. The disciple of uh, Jesus named Paul said this about growing together. In Ephesians chapter four, he says, so Christ himself, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service. There are roles that are played out in the church. And what we would do is there are some who are given to equip others to say, okay, this is how we're gonna live this out. And this is how we're gonna grow in our faith that, that we would equip all of us, that all of us would be equipped together to do this work that God has called us to, that Christ has called us to so that the body of Christ may be built up, that, that this would continue to, be grown, uh, to grow. For 2,000 years, the Christian faith has grown. It's multiplied over and over again. And that was through the collective work, the Holy Spirit working through the collective body of believers. And so growing together is this intentional, I'm not doing this alone. Yeah. I know that for the last 18 months, isolation has been sure appealing, although it's making us sick. Like this idea of we'd, we're just going to hole up in a place and I end up being okay with it, even though I know it's not good for me, I need to step out and be in community. Yep. Some of us struggle and we fear being together with other people just because of stuff that we've worked through to put ourselves out there to try to trust other people is difficult for many of us. But Jesus keeps calling us, let's do it. Come on, I'm going to work through you. We're going to grow together. You cannot grow alone. So, so like last spring, where we have jump starts kicked off for the first time, jump start groups that get you into a life group where you sit in a circle and you end up knowing other people and then you're known. And so uh, the Hommels, Jesse, you guys went to that last spring, right? And out of that came like a life group that you guys are like continuing to grow and you're right. You're almost busting at the seams from what I understand. Right. And not only are you meeting on Tuesday, but I think you have something on Monday and at other times you guys are gathered together where you are just like, this is what I need yeah. in my faith. Right. Underground where you guys can't even fit in a house anymore. Right. Like we're like, what are we going to do with our Wednesday nights because you guys all can't sit in this house together with that number of people. So you moved over to another campus and, and adult and, and parents, you're, you're wanting your, your young people to know Jesus more and more. So you bring them to Wednesday nights or if you're in middle school, you're taking them to Tuesday nights. This idea we want to grow together in our faith with Jesus. And that leads us to do this, not to be stagnant, not to become sponges where it just all gets soaked up but that to, it, it is spilled out onto other people, right? Like, so, so this third part is the idea of living his way. So we encounter Jesus, we grow together to live it out. You know, in, the, in Acts, you'll find that Christians weren't called Christians. The actual term for Christians was, was almost a, a dig at people uh, when it was first introduced in Acts, like to use that term on those who are following Jesus. You know what they were originally called? Those of the way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And the descriptor for those who follow Jesus was the way, those of the way. You'll see it a few times in Acts. And you know what that keeps me going? Like it, it's this propulsion that I'm not going to just sit stagnant, but I'm going to grow in my faith and let it pour out on others. I'm going to live the way of Jesus. You see that John and Peter, they're going to the temple and they're, they're headed to the temple and there's this man that's been brought over and over to the temple gates. He's lame and he, he's brought there to beg. He begs one more time. Peter and John stop by. They have a conversation. Eventually this man is healed in the conversation. That he is, he's raised up and he's healed. I say this story because Peter and John did not reserve their faith to the inside of a temple. Right. They didn't. They didn't just let things happen in a couple hours on a, well, for them, it had been a Sabbath, uh, on a Saturday and Friday night. They didn't let it just be reserved for that. But on their way, their faith is being worked out. And you'll see in the book of Acts, the, the believers allowed the way to continue to play out over and over in their life. So, so I, in the first service, we had uh, Manny and, and uh, Darlene here. I got to know Manny over the last couple of months. We're in Alpha together. He's at my table in our Alpha group. For those of you who don't know Alpha, Alpha is the opportunity on Wednesday nights to, to just explore big questions about who Jesus is. If you don't know Jesus, it's the, like an excellent setting. If you have friends who don't know Jesus, we have another one kicking off in January. I, invite, I encourage you to share. Anyways, Manny's sitting beside me on this last Wednesday night, and he begins to share with the whole group how he's a brand new believer, he, back in May is when he made the decision to follow Jesus. But you know what the catalyst was for that? His dear friends, Jason and, and Isa, they've been living out their faith in front of Manny and Darlene for, for years. They invite them over one night. They're all having dinner together. This was, uh, I think, in March of this last year. Manny begins to explain some of the things that he's been practicing in his spiritual life. He's not a follower of Jesus at this point. He's practicing some, some uh, Hinduism and some other things in his life, and, he, and he's pursuing those. And, and Isa is a little concerned about where he's going with his, his spirituality. And so the Holy Spirit gives her boldness to say, Manny, I think where you're headed is a little dangerous. And at that moment... Man, his spiritual ears are open and he responds by saying, basically, what do you think I should do? Issa then invites Manny to, and Darlene to church. They start coming here back in like April-ish. By May, Manny has this significant encounter with Jesus and he falls to his knees and he calls out and he wants to follow Jesus. You gotta hear his story. We'll share his story at another time because it's, it's a remarkable way that Jesus revealed himself to him. Issa just responded to the Spirit of God saying, okay, I'm not gonna reserve my faith to this room on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. If the Holy Spirit prompts me to say something to my friend, I'm gonna say it, right? And, and so she does. I was talking with him afterwards and, and he says like, I'm not a bold person, person. I'm so, like, it was the Holy Spirit completely. And, and we were just talking about like, man, I would not know Manny and Darlene if she hadn't been bold and responded to the Holy Spirit, right? Like, and to hear their story of faith, Darlene, uh, yeah, it's just, I can't wait till you all hear their story. It's pretty remarkable. I say this, you are called to live his way everywhere, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family, yeah. and it won't always be perfect, no, but we are called to do that if you're a follower of Jesus. So, 
we want to offer a time of response. And there are some cards at your seat. And there are some houses that Alicia built with her mom. This is the house series. And we want to commit to the house. So here's our discipleship process. On Sunday morning, we want to encounter Jesus. So every Sunday, here's what we're asking you to commit to. That you come to church on Sundays expecting to encounter Jesus. That you bring that expectation to church and that you are a part of it. Because we know that Jesus said that he lives, his, his spirit indwells us. And so as we interact with each other, as we love one another, pray for each other, that is the spirit of Jesus in us, interacting with each other. People meet Jesus when they meet you. That's a powerful thought. And so we encounter Jesus through the preaching of God's word, through the body of Christ, encouraging and loving on each other. On Sundays, we come to church, we're committing to that expectation. I'm encountering Jesus. Number two, that encounter to Jesus leads me to wanna grow together. I join a life group. I want every single person in this room in some kind of group, whether that's a life group, alpha group, Lake Mead University happened in the first hour. There's a ton of people going to groups there. But part of this discipleship process depends on us committing to being in a group, committing to not just checking in on Sunday and then leaving. Like I'm in a group with these people. I'm gonna get to know them. I'm gonna go deep with these people. And then that leads to the third one, which is living his way. I wanna be ridiculously responsive to the Holy Spirit at work, in my home, in my neighborhood, everywhere I go, I wanna have this, which then leads me to more encounter with Jesus. Let me say this to you, church. Some of us who feel like I don't, I'm not encountering Jesus. Like I go to church and I just can't wait for it to be over. It just seems all dull and, and whatever. I just wanna push back and say, maybe you're not surrendered to Jesus because people that are surrendered to Jesus, guess what? They encounter Jesus, man. That happens when you surrender your life to Jesus. So if you're not experiencing the spirit like pouring out on you, I would start right here with you and, I, and say, Lord, am I really surrendered? God, am I really, really putting everything out there for you? Because I guarantee you, if you seek him, you find him. Yeah. And as you surrender to him, he will show up in your yeah. life. Yeah. He just will, guys. He just will. And so it's this, it's this discipleship process. I'm coming to church. I'm, I'm committing to that. I'm gonna be growing together and I'm gonna be living his way. Here's our purpose statement as a church. Here's our, what we wanna promise you as you join this house. The church at Lake Mead exists to love you and to equip you in the way of Jesus everywhere and every day. Every time we plan services, every time we plan whatever gathering we've planned and we have some other things that we're planning, we have this in our mind. How is this gonna love the church and equip the church so they can live the way of Jesus everywhere they go? Like that's through our minds and everything we plan here. We want this, as we said in this whole series, to be a current that just pulls you towards Jesus. When you join this house, it's just pulling you towards Jesus. And so we want you to feel prayed for in every service, loved in every service, equipped in every service. I want you to think of coming to church maybe a little different than you're used to. A lot of us come to church thinking, I'm just gonna hear a religious talk and sing some religious songs. I know that's not how you really think, but that sometimes people do. I want you to think, I'm not coming just to have people talk to me. I'm coming to, to be kind of 
coached in my walk with Jesus. Like what happens on Sunday is not the end, it's the start of my week. Yeah. It's the way I get launched into this world to be a light for Christ, yeah. because that's our calling church. And so here's what we're gonna ask you to do with that little card. Mike's gonna walk you through this commitment, but you're gonna write a prayer, a prayer of commitment. So walk us through that, Mike. Yeah, so take that card, will you, uh, just for a moment, and just Holy Spirit, what am I gonna, what, what do you wanna do in my life over the next year? Like in regards to this family right here, like this, this house, what, Holy Spirit, what do you want, what do you wanna do in and through me in regards to these areas that we're talking about, encountering Jesus, growing together, living his way? Like, am I committing to, I need to grow. Man, I've been, I've been a little complacent in my, in my spiritual walk. I've been kind of sitting back and not really intentionally growing in my faith. Yeah. And I've been just resistant to people being in my life. I need to embrace that. So I want you to write a prayer. This isn't just a, like a writing statement. This is actual, let's write a prayer out. Okay, Father, will you help me in this area to be a part of my church family? It's, as one of our creative team members said, this is like the housewarming gift that you're giving to this church family. This is you saying, you know what? I've been, I've been holding back the gifts God has given me, the skill sets that God has given me to contribute to this, this community. Yeah. And so I'm gonna go ahead and offer that as a sacrifice to God. I'm gonna say, God, I want you to use this this year and I'm gonna be wide open to that. Maybe you pray it like, I've not encountered Jesus, I've never encountered Jesus. So I'm just gonna write this prayer of, if you are out there, if you're real, I wanna know you. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna just surrender to you. If you are real, if you're everything that, they're, that we're saying, I'm gonna I wanna surrender to that. Will you reveal yourself to me? He will. I'll tell you. When you hear Manny's story, I'm just gonna leave that out there because he'll share it in probably a couple months. You'll hear it and you'll say, oh yeah, Jesus was in pursuit of him and revealed himself to Manny. He'll do that with you. So would you write that? And here's what we're gonna do. You, you, there's these little slots in the front of the houses. Uh, you'll see it eventually. Uh, and there are four of them throughout the room. You're gonna act like this will be like an offering you're offering your gift to be used within this family of God. And, and we're gonna have you in just a moment, everybody's gonna stand and you can go to the front or back and drop those in there as an offering. We're gonna do two things. If you are comfortable praying with other people, you'll, you'll do that and then you'll stand up here or in the aisle so that others can come to you and pray with you. We're gonna keep doing that. Um, Maybe you have prayed over the last two weeks and it's time you're, you're ready to pray for other people and you'd make yourself available. So we'll do that too. So let's stand right now. Wake ourselves up a little. And when you're ready to offer that and place those in those houses, you can walk out.